Well, good morning. Last night as we were um, worshiping at uh, the Saturday celebration, we began to sing the song, The Stand. And every now and then, um, you ever get the sense that God tells you something really specific, so specific you have to write it down? And uh, so I stopped and wrote this down, and I want to kind of just put this question out there to you. And it's actually the question from God's perspective, and it's this. Do you think that the walk that you have with me now is the one I died for you to have? Do you think that the walk that you have with me now is the one I died for you to have? Maybe we'll get a step closer to the answer to that question. We're going to talk this week in our series on grace, about sanctifying grace. And uh, hopefully in a few minutes you'll understand a little more about what that is. And I'm calling this message the ultimate extreme makeover. I don't know about you, anybody else kind of addicted to extreme makeover home edition? I think I've watched most of them over the last, whatever, years, eight, ten years. And I realized something the other night. I had kind of a revelation. It's the same thing every week. <laughs> but I like watching it because there's, to a real extent, what we're watching is not just a home being built, but, a li- but lives changed. You know? Well, here's what happens on that show. If, if you watch it, you know this. First, there is a need identified. There's a desperate need identified. And Ty gets on the bus with the people and they watch the, the video on the screen. And then the second step is to plan to address the problem. They put a plan in place. And, of course, on the show, they make you think that they come up with it on the bus on the way to the house. So a plan's put in place. And then the fa- my favorite part, once they meet the family, my favorite part of the show occurs, and that is demo. Loving that Demo. Three weeks ago, the Muppets did the demo, which I thought was interesting. (laughs) Kermit was driving a bulldozer, just for your information. But demolition has to occur. And then the new structure's built in record time, both in reality and on the TV show. And then a big reveal is planned, right? The family gets back from Disney World. And this big reveal is planned, and it's anticipated, and it's the culmination of the show, and then it's carried out, and everybody yells... Move that bus. The family goes in and sees this amazing new house that's been created for them. And then there is the key line to every episode. When the family's seen the house, everything's done, and the crews are going to leave. And Ty Pennington says, welcome home. Welcome home. See, the last step in the process is that the house has to become a home. And that is left to the family, isn't it? Well, I think God's in that same kind of renovation business. God's more of a a sculptor, though, and he uses some different kind of tools. Maybe there's something like this. You see, what God does is he steps in in his sacrificial grace. And he goes out and finds a a big block of granite. 
That's you and me. And he chooses it. And he offers his saving grace, his salvation. The Bible calls it justification. And he chooses us. And then the sculpting begins. Then the sculpting begins. You see, if God just went out and... If a sculptor just went out and got a block of granite and said, well, there it is. There's my creation. I don't know how many museums he'd be in. Maybe the Museum of Modern Art, but that's the only choice, I think. Because all it is is a big block of granite. What has to happen? The sculptor has to chisel away. And what's ultimately revealed is this amazing work of art. That's sanctification. That is God's sanctifying grace. It's the chipping away at that block that he chose. And we're going to look at this principle in Scripture this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Titus chapter 2. Very short book. Most of our Bibles, it's about three pages long. Right after 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. It's also, these passages are also on your sermon outline in your worship folder. As always, if you need a Bible, there's some in the back in several languages. Let's look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. It says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I believe that just like Extreme Makeover has a process, God is showing us in Titus 2, these three simple verses, a process that he has for his extreme makeover of our lives as Christians, as believers, as followers of Christ. First, our need has been identified and a plan has been set in place. Look at these very first words in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Our need was identified. God realized and saw in us that we desperately needed a Savior. So His sacrificial grace gave way to His saving grace. And as we learned two weeks ago from Pastor Jay, He offered us salvation. And we can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And salvation... That justification, the theological word, is completely the work of Christ. You see, he identified our need and then he put a plan in place by offering his son. And so he draws us to himself. We accept that invitation into his salvation, into his grace. Now, some at this point might say, well, that's it. We're done. You're saved, you're going to go to heaven, that's it. Well, others might not quite say it that way, but they live in such a way that it demonstrates that their concern is more about going to heaven than loving their king. So are we saved just for heaven? Does the process stop there? Has God just identified the big block of granite and then leaves? Can I go to heaven without truly and faithfully loving Jesus? Well, nothing in Scripture would give reason to believe that the answer to any of those questions is yes. 
You see, it isn't just about identifying the need and putting the plan in place. And then, well, we're done. We're going to heaven. That's it. You see, the process continues. In the other column, probably, of most of your Bibles, in chapter 3 of Titus, there's an important word found in Titus 3.5. Let's look at that. It says, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Here's the important word in that verse. And. The important word in the verse is and. It is rebirth and renewal. This idea of renewal is in the passage in chapter 2. Look at verse 12, the first three words. It says it teaches us. God's plan, he brings salvation. It's appeared to all men. He has offered his saving grace. And it teaches us. Well, if God's saving grace was for the sole purpose to just get us to heaven, then there would be no reason to teach us anything, would there? Absolutely none. It's kind of done then. But that isn't what Scripture says. And so in this, these verses, we find this next aspect of God's grace, His sanctifying, His chipping away grace, if you will. This is what the Scriptures say, that the work of God's grace in our lives does not stop. It continues. Grace in our lives does not stop at saving grace, but continues into what we call sanctifying grace. It goes on throughout the life of the believer. And so let's look at this. Just like the extreme makeover, the plan to deal with the need must be carried out now. And so, demo begins. The tearing down of who we were. The putting off, the Bible says, of, of the old man, the old nature, the, the flesh. God begins to tear it down. Because you can't build on top of a bad foundation. Look at verse 12. It says, it teaches us to say what? No to ungodliness and worldly passions. What's described here is simply living in response to God's saving grace. It goes beyond gaining heaven to the development of a constantly transforming life. Now, this big word, sanctification, let's define it real quickly. The generic definition is very interesting. It's the state of proper functioning. Sanctification is the state of proper functioning. The biblical meaning comes from a Greek word, meaning to set apart, to live according to God's design and purpose. It's the act of making a thing pure and holy. So the question for us today is, okay, if I say I'm a, a follower of Christ, then I'm, am I living in a state of proper functioning? Is my life an example of being set apart, of, of living according to God's design? Am I being transformed into a thing that is pure and holy? Really, sanctification is the continuation of the process begun in justification, but now the renewal and the making holy takes place. And just like 
We wouldn't expect a sculptor to pick a block of granite and then do nothing with it. This process continues. And God's saving grace flows into God's sanctifying grace. And God names a foreman for the job, actually. We saw it in Titus 3, verse 5. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the foreman on this project. This is His function. The reconstruction and renovation of us from the inside out. And this process is a hard-fought-for, ongoing process. It doesn't conclude in this life. Galatians 5.17 says, It is rough. It is a battle. For the sinful nature, it says, desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Anybody be able to relate to that? Paul understood this. The Apostle Paul understood this. He was the one that wrote one of the most confusing chapters in the New Testament. It says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't do want to do, I don't. And the thing... Why? Because within us is this ongoing process of, of tearing down. In a moment, we'll look at the other side of that process. What is it, what's this passage tell us to do? We're to say no to what? Ungodliness and worldly desires. Ungodliness is defined as irreverence. In the Greek, the word means a lifestyle devoid of reverence towards God. And worldly desires, those passions, those overpowering attractions to the world. We're to say no to them. Now, I've said this before from this place, but let me say it again. Let me talk about how, you, how we can evaluate decisions. Because this really is about decisions. It's the decision to say yes or no. If something moves you away from your relationship with God, rather than moves you closer to Him, it is ungodly. It's what we're supposed to be saying no to. Let me say it again. If, it mo- if a decision moves you closer to God or away from God, that's the point. And if it moves you closer to God, then we're to say yes to it. It moves you away from God. We're supposed to say no. Well, that should be simple, right? Let's just say yes to God all the time. Why is that so hard? Because within us is an amazing ability to self-deceive. To allow our fleshly passions and attractions to move us away from Christ. And we can get to the place where we actually buy into the lie that we can truly be a Christian and not really do what it takes to be close to God and love Him completely. And so we create this dichotomy And we redefine the Christian walk as this dichotomy of, well, I can love God, kind of. That I can be a Christian, but not really make an effort at becoming close to God. It's saying yes to the things that God desires for me and no to ungodliness and worldly desires. Well, James challenges us. In James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So what else is happening along the way? Well, here's the other side. There's this tearing down. The foreman, the Holy Spirit is tearing down the old nature, the flesh in us. Those things that pull us and cause us to say yes to ungodliness and worldly desires. And he builds us up. 
and a putting on of sorts takes place. A putting on of this new nature. In this passage, look again at verse 12. And we could insert a couple words here just to clarify. It says, say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and say yes to self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Sanctification is really just applied justification. It's applying God's saving grace and saying, I'll live that out. Whereas justification is God's declaration of righteousness that frees us from the guilt of sin. Sanctification is the ongoing healing from the dysfunctionality of sin. And if most of us would admit it, we are pretty dysfunctional when it comes to sin. We're told to say yes to being self-controlled and upright and godly. Let's dig into these three words for just a moment. We're told to say yes, to live a life that is self-controlled. It means disciplined and wise, allowing spirit control. It isn't, oh, well, me, myself, I'm going to control everything. No. Within Scripture, it means that we are making wise, disciplined decisions that are spirit-controlled. One of the best things you can do is stop at every decision and ask God, is this a wise decision? Does this move me closer to you or away from you? We're told to live upright lives. What does that mean? Well, it means straight, literally. Straight, upright. It means exactly what you think it would mean. It means there's Jesus, there's my goal, to be like him, I'm going to stay right there. Heading that direction. I'm going to be genuine and forthright and truthful, both with him and with those who are walking this road with me. That within the community and the body of Christ, I will, be, I will push toward what's called the high calling, toward that one who saved us and who God has called us to be like. And I'll do that in a forthright and genuine and truthful way. And we're told to be godly. Simply meaning holy and God-focused. We can't say we're godly if we're not focused on God. And I think we can all pretty quickly self-evaluate where we stand on these character traits, can't we? There's kind of a kicker here that throws a little curve to us. In Philippians 3.10, Paul says this, I want to know Christ. I want to be that one who is upright and is self-controlled and is godly and is moving toward him. I want to know Christ. Then he adds in the power of his resurrection. I want to know what it means to live in the joy and the power of following Jesus. And then for many of us, we put a period there and we stop reading. The rest of the verse says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's the part we don't want. Not just the joy and power of his resurrection is awesome as that is, but the deep, intimate participation in and the becoming one with his suffering and his death, the chipping away of self, of dying to self and living 
in Christ. You see, we say yes to Jesus and become alive in him only at the death of self. We cannot be alive to both at once. We can't be alive to self and to Christ at once. We are one or the other. Frankly, it is either yes to Jesus or no to Jesus. And not just for saving grace, but for sanctifying grace. That chipping away, that tearing down, and that building up. of this masterpiece that he's trying to create in us. Well, what's the goal? Well, the goal, just like on television, is the big reveal. It's the motivation. Look at verse 13. It says, Do these things while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wait for the blessed hope. Hope, the big reveal, sanctification, this process of chipping away will end. That's our goal. It's our motivation. And it will end that moment that Jesus returns. And we see and experience the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We all face different issues, different struggles with sin, different past hurts, and all to varying degrees. We're hindered in our ability to live the life God desires for us. But we all have the same blessed hope. And one day, God's sanctifying grace will be completed in us. And we wait expectantly for that day. And not waiting with a sense of sitting back with a fruit drink, but waiting in the sense of preparing ourselves to see Him. Of one day standing before Him. Sanctified, self-controlled, upright, and godly. That's our goal, the blessed hope. But it doesn't end there. We have to live in the truth of our sanctification. We have to make this house a home. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You understand what he's trying to tell you today? That he has called you to the riches of a glorious inheritance that you are God's workmanship. That His work in you is for the purpose of making you like His Son. That He chose you. And that in His grace, He continues to chip away so that you can be a masterpiece. So that you can write on your name tag, Hello, my name is masterpiece. I'm sure that there are a lot of questions. I'm not sure why that's doing that. 
I know why that's doing that, but I'm not sure why the lights are doing what they're doing. I'm still talking. All right, let's pull this back in. I'm sure there are lots of questions in this room right now. Am I a true follower of Christ? Did I just kind of think, well, I'll get, grab this saving grace and that's going to be it. I, I got heaven, I'm done. Maybe you're asking, am I allowing God's sanctifying grace to transform me? Maybe you're thinking, I know me and I'm not a masterpiece. Well, I want to help you get a grasp of how God sees you. How He wants to work this sanctifying grace in your life. How do we respond to God's sanctifying work in our life? And I've learned that if I can't say it well, I'll let somebody else say it. So watch this. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, that we're, in essence, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't see a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a, a Picasso, you know? But I want to be a masterpiece. I want to be everything that God has created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, God, do whatever it takes to, to get things out of my life that don't need to be there Mold me into the image of your son so that I can be your masterpiece. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. <laughs> no, you're not. Yeah, yeah, you just said the person here I am. That's how it works. Oh, okay, okay. Um, if you're God, then make it snow in here. You know what? If I made it snow in here, it'd get kind of yucky, and I really don't want to do that. See, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. Yes, I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. If you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is a very short book. It only has five chapters. Why is it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh. Yeah. Uh, if you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? You know what? I'm not so much into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away. You answered my question with a question. I did? <laughs> yep, I do that. Don't I? Get it again. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. okay. All right. Hey, yeah. um, what's this about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Here we go. Step okay. right up. Here we go. All right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. How do you know what to chisel and what to leave? I take out all the things in your life that are out of me, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of that, could you chisel right in here? I just can't get rid of it. I mean, the other went away, but this, I mean, I've tried exercising. I've watched what I ate. I even did Pilates for a while. That was awkward. But if you could chisel, all I mean, right. Can I talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, talk, chisel. No, talk, no, 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 chisel. chisel. All right. Most of my children just like to talk. Not me. Bring on the chisel. Here we go. All right. You have a lot of anger. Ow. Some pride. Ow. Compare yourself to others instead of me. Ow. You're lazy. <clears throat> but you pretend like you're really, really busy. You have a problem with lust. Okay. <laughs> Time out. <laughs> I do not have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Um... Maybe, maybe we can take a little time out. I mean, I think I'm doing pretty good. You are doing good, but when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay. 
then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and others need to see my son. Here we go. Okay, hold on, hold on. Um, don't take this the wrong way. It's just that when I start looking more like your son, um, people get uncomfortable around me, you know? I mean, even my friends at church, they're all like, oh, you're holier than thou. Why won't you do that, you know? I mean, so what you're doing right now is you rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. I did not say that. That's what you meant. Yes, it is. It's hard to talk to you. I mean, you know everything I'm thinking. I'm just saying, you've done good work. Maybe we take a little break, a little time out, then we'll come back to right? it. What you're doing right now is so common. What you're doing right now is called control. Do you want to control things in your life, or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control. No, no, chisel. chisel. Here we go. No, can, can we chisel where I want that? It's called control. Okay. You've been holding on to this for a long time. You ready for this? Hurts me more than it hurts you. Ow! I don't think you understand this pain. Don't talk to me about pain. I know all about pain. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. And there are the things in your life, you even think back to high school that you've been doing that do not work in your life, but you go to these empty wells whenever you're hurting, whenever you're angry, whenever you're lonely and tired, but they do not work. No, no, okay, okay. Um, I'm thinking maybe Your we could... not my thoughts. Oh, okay, but if we went another way... Your we ways could... are not my ways. Okay, well, look, I can't be good. You can't be good. I've made you good. Be good. Uh, uh, what? Nothing. What is it? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just... God, I've let you down so many times. No. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. And don't you forget that. In this relationship, I hold you up. Okay. Chisel away. All right. But just... Just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. God, I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror and it is this, this scared little kid who gets up every day and tries to dress like an adult and act like an adult, but I can't. So just be prepared for what you're going to find. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that are not of me. You think you're junk, don't you? You really, really, really think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't make junk. What does that say about me? How can I show you that my love for you has no boundaries? I know. Reach in your back pocket. What? Reach in your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach in your back pocket. God. Yes? I was just saying, God, I'll do that right now. You were just saying my name in vain. You know what? It, it's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's, it's more it's... than a name. It's more than a saying. It's more than a bad habit. It's a name above all names. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. You know what that is? This is a page from, from a journal I had when I was younger. 
How'd you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, read it. I love Angie Holland. Other side. Sorry. I married her. I was there. Dear God, today I am turning everything over to you. I'm not going to hold on to anything anymore. Your word says that you will make me your masterpiece and use me to do great things. I don't see how it's possible, but I want that with all that I am. So please do whatever it takes to make me what you want. I love you, God. I love you too, Tommy. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. So this salvation that you hold, don't let it be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And don't compare yourself to someone else because that is just trivial nonsense. You are my original masterpiece. You are one of my workmanship and you I find favor. This, don't look at this as a prison. But look at this as a, a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, it'll be tough. But you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you said yes to me. It's not how it works. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy. No, 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 no. The way you see yourself or you yearn so much for others to see you the way I see you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. You are a recipient of his sanctifying grace. And he loves you enough to chip away at you so that he can see his son. Maybe today you need to say, you got to take over, God. I want to give you all of myself. I'm not going to try to create something on my own. I'm going to let the creator create me. So today we open these altars and at these altars are baskets. And in them are journal pages. At the top of that journal page is Tommy's prayer. Maybe that's the prayer you want to go to God with today. And at the bottom of that journal page is just some blank lines. Because maybe you want to write your own. So we open this space all to the sides. And maybe you want to come and kneel. Or you can get on your face before God if you like. And I'd encourage you to stay here until you have heard your sculptor. Your creator. And until you believed it when he says, you're my masterpiece. 
and you've given him control to do that. The worship team's going to play and sing, and these spaces are open for you to meet with God.